Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Yes, there's fecal matter in our beaches, and there's a major reason for it that needs to be fixed ASAP. Plus, is Texas no longer one of the best states for business? And where does our city rank when it comes to equity and opportunity? I'm breaking it all down with Pulitzer Prize finalist Evan Mintz and Houston author Shiam Galyon. It's Friday, July 14th, 2023. I'm Raheel Ramsnali, and here's what Houston's talking about. Shiam, Evan, good morning. Welcome back. Oh, what a week. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of heat, and it was 713 day, all right, yesterday, and I need to get your favorite Houston memory, okay? I, that's how we're going to start it off today. Shiam, tell me yours. Well, first of all, it has been a great week. And actually, the thing that I think about a lot that I wonder if other people remember is that park that was near, like, that's that was near the Galleria in the Post Oak area. There were, like, ducks there. Evan, do you remember this? We called it something in Arabic, the park of quack quack, because we were young <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of ducks. Near the water wall? Yeah, 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 yeah. What, yeah. what was that part called? I, I just always called everything around there like water wall. Like if it's green space and it's near there, it's the water wall. Oh, yeah. That extra park area was stunning. Does anyone else, Raheel, do you remember that? I don't that? remember that. I don't remember a lake around the water wall area for some reason. Ever so often, I'll think of it and try and Google it and uh-huh. nothing comes up. I'm okay. glad Evan is here because, Raheel, you, you might have made me spiral. Like. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Evan? I just feel like my favorite memories in Houston are really watching like migrant and immigrant communities grow in the city over my lifetime. I'm 37 years old. I've lived here my whole life. And it's just watching things get bigger and bigger and bigger and watching the city diversify and really get a sense that this is a place where you can come from anywhere in the country, anywhere around the world, and we'll welcome you and you'll make it here. Like That's what I love about Houston. I love that. I love that. That is beautiful. Let's get things going. Let's talk about our biggest stories of the week. Shiam, you lead us off. What you got? So my biggest story was, it's more of a profile of uh, one of Houston's heavy swingers, um, Jeffrey Hildebrand. And the title of the headline caught my attention because it was something to the effect of big oil man gets strong in a way that confounds climate activists. And so I'm very interested in markets. I'm very interested in ecosystems. And I'm thinking like, how is climate activism making some oil people rich? And so what what it is, what it turns out is that a lot of climate activism is on publicly held companies. Um, and so there's like a lot of pressure for the publicly held companies who uh, follow environmental, social, sustainability, or like, I don't know, they, they want to follow it or whatever. They're subject to that pressure. And so if they have like aging oil wells to be accountable, they'll sell them off to the private oil companies. So it's like the less accountable actors are doing the things that the m- 
more accountable actors don't want to do anymore. I thought that was that was such a fascinating story. It really was like a delight to read because it really get the sense of how the oil markets actually work. And there's this thought, I think, among some activists that, well, if we just get Exxon and Chevron, all these big players to try to keep it in the ground, uh, everything will work out. But what really ends up happening is that they find their lowest performing uh, wells, they find their highest polluting wells, and they say, well, we'll just offload it. And it makes them look good. It look, makes their standards look higher. But someone is going to buy it. Like there is a market out there for oil and someone's going to take it. Mm-hmm. And if it's a low rent player rather than Exxon, they're going to pollute more. They're going to have worse conditions for workers. Everything around it's going to be worse. Now, Jeffrey Hildebrand's made his career on buying up underperforming wells that big companies really don't want anymore and making them perform again. Uh, he's got, you know, a really nimble corporate setup uh, that's uh, oriented at doing work like that. But I think it should have a lot of environmental activists rethinking what it is they need to be doing if they really want to tackle climate change. Because I don't think it's going to be on the supply side. I don't think you can just say, keep it in the ground. You've got to say, we need to get our energy from somewhere else. We need to be building more wind and more solar and more energy storage and more geothermal, maybe even more nuclear. And we need to figure out how to get the regulations out of the way that stop us from doing those things. Because a lot of those regulations were set up for oil and gas. And if you're not building oil and gas, then you don't need those sorts of regulations. All right, Evan, let's go to your biggest story of the week. What do you got? My biggest story this week was that Texas fell out of the top five states for best business, according to CNBC. Right now on top is North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, Georgia, Minnesota, and then Texas at number six. And it's just shocking to see this because it's a reflection of so many other problems going on in the state. The cost of doing business is up. The cost of living is up. Our power infrastructure is risky. We've fallen in that category. And also overlooked a little bit, our water infrastructure problems are there too. And so we've fallen in those rankings as well. And at a time when it feels like the state is debating everything else besides these issues, and we've really taken for granted our business rankings, it's something that we're going to have to take seriously. We have to get on that infrastructure problem. We have to make sure that it's easier to build homes and do business here while also protecting the rights of workers, while also protecting the environment. And it takes effort. And I just don't see our state leadership putting effort into these sorts of things. I will say that behind the scenes, there's been a really great effort by Texas 2036 to push water infrastructure as an issue through the legislature. And I think we're going to see some real good outcomes from that. But right now, I think our state's struggling and we have to come to terms with reality. Yeah, there were so many different things that the report looked at and how it measures, you know, the best place to do business. But one thought that I have on this is when Texas was constantly in the top five, everyone's going to hear about it. And eventually everyone did move to Texas and we've seen a population boom. So eventually it was going to catch up to us, right? Like all this great PR, the cost of living is going to go up. The cost to do business is going to go up because just more people hear about it and they all want to come get a part of it. No, that's absolutely true. We're suffering from our own success. And if you look at places like Austin, they're taking a real effort right now to be able to build more homes, making it easier to build townhouses there. Austin might start to look a little bit more like Houston these days. Mm. And that would be a good thing. You know, the other thing that they looked at was infrastructure, as you mentioned, Evan, but the 
power outages that we've been suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, Texans are enduring nearly 20 hours without electricity per year, which sounds kind of high. But if you told me I'd just be without 20 hours as opposed to being with, you know, without days that we've uh, seen previously, that's not bad. But that PR is also catching up to Texas. It really is. And, you know, the, the ranking says that's the third worst in the nation. And something I found frustrating is watching the conversation around this and people seem to divide on partisan lines. You know, folks who really like being Republican will say, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, how many times has your power gone out? But I think you have to look at the objective numbers that we've got collected on this. And I also think you need to look at the fact that the top states in this listing aren't all Democrat, aren't all Republican. And the last states, West Virginia, Hawaii, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alaska, aren't all red or blue either. You see a good mix there. And maybe there's something besides just the basics of red state, blue state going on, that you need to have a dedicated effort to be a state that is good for business and good for people to live in. One last thing from the study, the place where Texas ranks at the bottom, and this is from the story that we've linked in our show notes, is quality of life, health and inclusion. It dropped from 49th in 2022 to 50th now. So what that basically means is healthcare in the state is poor, according to the United Health Foundations, which ranks the state number 50 for clinical care and number 47 for access to primary care physicians. And no state has a greater percentage of residents without health insurance. Violent crime is also on the rise in our state, jumping roughly 10% between 2018 and 2021. So those factors played into Texas dropping as well. It really is depressing. It shouldn't be too hard for Texas to say expand Medicaid and make sure that people who need health insurance can get it. But this politics just gets in the way. And I just want to add that this is one of Texas's contradictions. Um, if you're in Houston, you know that our healthcare industry here is a point of pride and joy. We make advancements that are felt by people around the world. And it's just so hard that we excel in this one area. And yet we are, you said we're number 50 when it comes to access. I just wanted to underscore that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. My biggest story of the week, it's getting kind of dirty. Okay. 90% of Texas beaches found to have bacterial pathogens at least one day last year. And our area beaches had dangerous levels of fecal matter at least 91 days of the year. Now, I know everyone's going to come at me and make the Galveston jokes and all the stuff that we're used to hearing, but there is something bigger at play here. This is happening because of our dilapidated wastewater infrastructure. And we need to fix this ASAP because leaking sewage pipes are causing all of these issues. And there just seems to be no relief on the horizon in terms of fixing all of these old pipes that are leaking sewage waste, especially after big rainstorms when there are hundreds and millions of gallons of water just rushing towards Galveston. And that is where all this fecal matter is leaking out. Of course, you've got animal waste and you do have fertilizer leaking into the system. But for the most part, this is just really old pipes. I mean, I think this just ties into what we were talking about, Texas needing better infrastructure and better water infrastructure. You don't want your poop leaking into the water. That's like building a city rule number one. And we mess up on that all the time. You know, you know there are times when you go down to Galveston, you got to think to yourself, should I be getting in the water with this open sore, with this little cut I've got? And the answer is no. And it feels dangerous and it shouldn't be like this. 
And I really wish there's a bigger political movement to put pressure on our elected officials to fix this, because it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And to be honest, I never really understood why the Galveston water was brown. It may not be because of this specifically, um, but it is horrifying to hear. So the director of Environment Texas, Luke Metzger, actually pointed this out. He said there's a number of ways waters can be contaminated. Um, but the most dangerous is the leaking sewage pipes. The city of Houston itself is currently under a federal consent decree to upgrade its aging sewer system after many clean water violations. So they're now required to invest millions of dollars to clean up these sewage systems. And we're still having the issue. So hopefully we can get this fixed. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. All right, GM, let's get to your most overlooked story of the week. What do you got? So I was really excited to see that the city of Houston, along with the Kinder Institute at Rice, collaborated on the city's first ever equity study. Um, and so it's like a report card of the city. I want to share some of the findings. Um, and if you're a methodology or data nerd, you will love this report. Um, okay, so here it is. <clears throat> we got a score of 44.1 out of 100 with regards to equity. We beat out Dallas. Uh, cities like St. Louis and Pittsburgh are ahead of us. But what this study really does is it gives us a bunch of data, a bunch of indicators on how we can improve. Um, and especially as the Texas legislature is really like coming down hard against diversity, equity, and inclusion, I really see this report as like a huge step forward and like a huge pro city push to keep our shared values, you know, like forward, keep it out there and like say that actually, no, Houston does care about equity. Like the thing that really stood out to me was that the report noted that the biggest health disparity involved ambulance transports for mental health services. And this is a, directly from the study. 318 out of every 100,000 Black residents experience ambulance transport for mental health services. That same number is 174 for white Houstonians, 98 for Hispanic residents, 31 for Asians. Mm. Um, so people who are, you know, involved in policy they have a place to look and start asking questions. What's going on here? Um, who needs more access to what? One thing that I found very interesting was that the, the report was funded by Shell. And that made me wonder if there will be some things that the report might steer clear of, of looking into with regards to equity. Um, we'll have to see what happens there. So in the study, Houston posted equity scores of 34.6 in economic opportunity, 27.3 in health. Uh, the report pointed out that fewer than 1% of black Houstonians are business owners, 
compared to 6% of Asian residents and 5% of white residents. So that is another fact to look at when you think about economic opportunity and being able to start and create something of your own. And that's where the equity is hurt here in the city of Houston. You know, the thing that stood out to me were those areas where we did the worst access to bank accounts, environmental penalties, mental health transports, like we talked about. Some of these things are big systemic problems that are hard to get at. But it feels like that just a dedicated effort could make sure that a lot of people out there who don't have bank accounts and need them can get them. Yeah. So I wonder if this is a call to action on some of those very specific things that we can't get at, even as we continue to have that much larger conversation and larger debate about a way to make a more fair, equitable society. All right, Evan, let's stick with you and get your most overlooked story of the week. What do you got? My most overlooked story is that ExxonMobil has now officially relocated its corporate headquarters to outside of Houston. This has been in the works for a while. I think we've talked about it before, but now it is done. Their HQ is here at the big campus that they built way north along the Grand Parkway. And I think that this is exciting because it's not just about the people who are here at that corporate campus. But it's about the idea of your company being based here, having a vested interest in the successful future of our region. I think you're going to see people at the very tops of Exxon and maybe people who make decisions about corporate giving looking more at our city and at our region. What studies should they be supporting like Sheldon? What institutions should they be supporting? You know, the reason why Houston has all these great museums and opera and high arts is because people with oil money decided they wanted to live in a nice place. And so I really hope that with Exxon's HQ here, they start to look at what is it that they can do to make Houston an even better place to live. Now, the company is already eyeing massive Houston area investments in lower carbon solutions, including a $100 billion project to capture carbon dioxide emissions from the city's industrial area along the ship channel, according to the Houston Chronicle. So that's nice to hear that goes back to hey, they want to make this city a better place. And by the way, they moved from Dallas, where their headquarter was previously. And as you mentioned, that spring campus could house up to 10,000 employees. So yeah, it's going to be nice to see that grow and people moving in. You know, it's big, but I think if you look at trends, the oil industry is doing more with fewer people. And so we've got to think if it's not going to be about the sheer population of workers, it's going to be about the money. Where is that money going? If anyone from Exxon is listening to this, I would love it if y'all funded an equity study for the areas outside of Houston. And then we can like see what's going on because, you know, we're like a big metropolis area. I'm in Sugarland myself. I want to know what's going on in the areas outside of Houston. There we go. That could be their next project. That would be pretty cool to see. All right. My most overlooked story of the week, I want to give some props to Matt Sledge at Houston Landing. Uh, he wrote a great story about the amount of calls that 311 received during our big heat wave that we just experienced in June and we're currently in again in July here regarding AC units not working at apartments because landlords aren't fixing the issue or just don't care. And the story goes really deep into what's broken with our inspection codes, how we can fix it, and what changes the next mayor can make. Because there are changes that need to be made and there should be no scenario where residents are without AC in a Houston summer. And especially if they're paying their rent on time, they've complained multiple times and nothing was being done. It's just a fascinating story looking at all the inspection codes. And it's also heartbreaking because again, can you imagine 
being without AC during this spell that we just went through, and it's impacting families with kids, senior citizens, people that need it the most. So it was just an eye-opening story, and I can't recommend it enough. I'm glad that the Houston Landing story pointed all these things out. It's astounding what you can learn from looking at those 311 stats. Mm -hmm. And I think that as we listen to mayoral candidates hit the stump and talk about the issues that are important to them, you're going to see a gap between the things that they think are important and the things that objectively looking at 311 Houstonians think are important. Yeah, this is just unacceptable. And I'm just wondering what kind of accountability mechanisms can be put on the landlords? Yeah, the story talks about that. And there's been so much done. It's, you know, something as simple as moving up inspections to annual inspections for properties that constantly get calls about their issues to 311. So not waiting every four years, you got to do it every year because residents are not happy with you. So something as simple as that could make a big difference. And I think we just need to be able to build out the uh, inspection infrastructure necessary to hold people accountable. If folks are getting hurt, if folks are getting sick, that is wrong, it is illegal, and we need to set it right. You know, there's this sense that we have put so much of housing responsibility into the private sector, and the Houston model is typically, you know, if you just build a bunch of housing, people will find a place that's good for them. But you have to make sure that the housing that is out there is up to code and up to standard. Absolutely. All right, let's get to our moment of joy, Shiam. Come on, end us on a high note here. So I'm going to end us on a really high note. Um, it's the this week was like the one year anniversary of the James Webb telescope launch. Mm-hmm. Haha, <laughs> get it really high, like outer space. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to try and do some stargazing. You know, my motto this summer is uh, ice cream during the day, stars at night. Nice. That's a good motto. How about you, Evan? What was your moment of joy? Oh, my moment of joy was watching my wife. Dr. Melissa Goldberg-Mintz talk on the Fox 26 morning show about the Rudy Farias case and Stockholm syndrome. I'm always so proud to see my wife use her expertise to help explain these tricky issues to people. uh, And it just brings me joy. That is awesome. So cool to see her on TV with Fox 26. We love to hear that. And Hey, the more we can get her on TV and uh, less of you, I guess, is better, right? (laughs) (laughs) I've got the face for radio and podcast. She's the one who looks good on TV. I'm just teasing you. All right. My moment of joy. And this is something that's kind of dear and near to me because I love J.J. Watt. He's such a good representative of the city of Houston. He came here and played his heart out as a Houston Texan. But he and his brother, TJ Watt, are going to be the first brothers featured on the Wheaties box. So congratulations to the Watt brothers. And they have a third brother who's in the NFL. Derek, he's going to be on the back of the box, which I find hilarious. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah. JJ and TJ, you get the front. Hey, Derek, you get the back. All right. Look, sorry, you haven't won any Defensive Player of the Year awards. So you know what? Until you win something in your skill set, You can't be on the front of the box. I'm sure they're going to have a little fun with that. But again, J.J. Watt has been so great to the city of Houston, has done so many great things, has always been the nicest person anytime I've met him. So I just wanted to point this out and congratulations to them because that's a huge accomplishment for not only them individually, but as a family. Do you know who's really the winner of that story? Wheaties. No, the Watts' parents. Congratulations to the parents because this is bragging rights forever. 
Congratulations to them. All right, that will do it. Thank you so much, Evan. Thank you so much, GM. That was a lot of fun. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, y'all. Talk to y'all later. That was Evan Mintz and Shiam Galyan. You can read all of the stories we discussed with the links in our show notes. Before we go, do you have a friend who just doesn't know what's happening around H-Town? Well, you obviously like this podcast, so share it with them so we can grow the show and help that friend appreciate H-Town like you do. That will do it for this week here on CityCast Houston. Our lead producer is Dina Kespa. Our producer is Carleon Jones. Our newsletter editor is Brooke Lewis. And the host is me, Raheel Ramzanali. Our music is by the band All the Kimonos. We'll be back on Monday with a look at why HPD response times are the slowest in decades. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new. Cut that out, Carly. This does not need to be an explicit story.